Nehemiah. It's never too late for a new beginning. You may be in a mess right now. You may be saying, what in the world's going on? But it's never too late for a new beginning. Last, last time we, we looked at Nehemiah, it was in chapter 8. Verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And there are times of sorrow and mourning, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you need God's joy to make it through everything you're going to deal with in life. Last week, I, I told someone, I, I feel like last Sunday, I, I feel bad for those of you who missed it. If, I, think, I think we've got it on podcasts because they weren't able to live stream some of it, but you can, watch, you can listen to the podcast. But I told someone, I, I feel like it was the best service we've had in 15 years Amen. at the Power Place. God wrecked us as a church. God started something. God sparked something in our hearts last Sunday through the ministry of my brother, Doug. And, and all that he's going through, you know, the, the cancer diagnosis, the, all the mess, the 14 surgeries he's been through, Never once has he lost the joy of the Lord. And it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter the things you face. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And you can stay strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We learn that joy is a byproduct of forgiveness. Once you've been forgiven, joy fills your heart. And joy becomes real in affliction. You begin to realize, I can have joy even in the midst of the most trying circumstances. We recognize that joy is released when we obey God. Joy is also independent of circumstances. Doesn't matter what you're going through. You can still be filled with the joy of the Lord. We also notice that joy isn't just inward. Joy has an outward expression. You may be filled with joy, but you need to let it out. Express it. Let people know what God is doing in your life. I mean, the, the reality is the enemy wants to steal your joy. Constantly, all day long. But we can, we can sing in the prison cell just like Paul and Silas because we know that God's up to something big. Come on. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So let God's joy fill you today because you've been forgiven. If you've not been forgiven yet, you can be today. And God can write your name down in the Lamb's book of life, and you will be filled with his joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's an old hymn. I won't sing it. I can't. So, <laughs> let his joy fill you today as you obey and do what God's asked you to do. No matter what it looks like on the outside, God's joy can give you that buoyancy that, that gives you the ability to come to the top every time, everything you need. Jenny Allen says, and I said this last time, I've learned to quit wishing away all the hard stuff 
because I don't want to miss all the good stuff that goes with it. And sometimes we, we think that if my life was just easy, everything would be great. Reality is God does some things in us through the difficult times. And James says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you find yourself in, in trials and, and struggles, realizing that the testing of your faith works patience, and patience makes you perfect, and God's working, if you'll just open your eyes and see that. Chris Valentin says, these battles come in waves, and they will not last forever. Amen. Some of you are in a battle right now. You're thinking, is this, is this going to be a forever thing? No. Remember, if it's not good, it's not the end yet. Whatever your story is, we know that all things work together for our good in the end. Romans 8, 28, right? And so if it's not good, it's not the end yet. Things aren't done, working. Because God's working all things together for my good. So it must not be over yet. And he says, lastly, you probably did nothing wrong to cause this battle. As a matter of fact, you are most likely experiencing this battle because you're doing something right. So stand strong. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So we saw in Nehemiah chapter 8, towards the end of the, of the chapter, the wall had been rebuilt. The law of God had been read and listened to. The Feast of Tabernacles had been observed again for the first time since Joshua's day. And there was great rejoicing. Verse 17 of Nehemiah 8 says, So everyone who had returned from captivity lived in these shelters during the festival, and they were all filled with great joy. They were all filled with great joy. The Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, son of Nun. I'm telling you, there was a party going on. And sometimes in your life, you need to have a party. Amen. Just nudge your neighbor and say, come on, let's party today. Let's go. God's been good to us. Nehemiah chapter 9 Verse 1 says, on October 31st, the people assembled again, and this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours... They confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. I mean, only a few days have passed and feasting has turned to fasting. Joy has turned to humiliation and, and humbling themselves. Partying has turned to penitence. These always go hand in hand. If, if we avoid the times of humiliation before God, will soon become hard-hearted, cold, indifferent, indifferent to the things of God. And, and God will never plant the seed of his life upon the soil of a hard, unbroken spirit. We've got to plow up the fallow ground of our hearts. We need revival. We need revival. What are the principles of revival? Revival. Well, there's several. The first 
we see here in, in this first three verses a return to brokenheartedness. If you're going to have revival in your soul, you've got to return to brokenheartedness. I mean, fasting, sackcloth, burlap bags, which were a sign of mourning, dust on their heads, repentance. I mean, they, they even separated themselves from anyone who would distract them from their audience with God. I mean, sometimes you've got to get radical before you have revival. They made a bold confession of their sin and their father's sins. Three hours in the word, standing, three hours in prayer and worship and heart searching. It takes time, folks, to see your heart changed. And I wonder if sometimes we, we are so bound by the clock and, and our schedules that we just don't have time Come on, come on, I got And they spent three hours standing in place. Are they really going to make us stand during the whole worship time? <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> I know, right? And it's not really about our ability to stand or have to sit down because I'm tired. It's, it's, where's my heart at? I mean, how much do I really want of God? And I think sometimes we come in and we're like, yeah, two bucks. That, that's it. I'll take two bucks of God. It's like going to the gas station. Donald, two dollars. Okay, you're getting less than a gallon of gas. Okay, that's well, that's it. And sometimes we come in with that attitude. But if we're going to have revival, we've got to return to brokenheartedness. We've got to get serious about this. And it takes time. Verse 4 says, the Levites, Jeshua, Bani, those guys stood on the stairway of the Levites. And they cried out to the Lord their God with loud voices. We did that this morning. I mean, some of us did. Others of us are going, boy, I can't do that at church. I can do that at the Eagles game, but... I can do that in front of my TV. No, there's a, there's a time and a place to shout with a loud voice to the Lord. Some of you need to use your outside voices in church on Sunday. You need to use your outside voice at times when you need to praise God and let the enemy hear you, let yourself hear you praising the Lord and lifting your voice on high. And they shouted with loud voices. I mean, they're serious. Then the leaders of the Levites, Jeshua Academy, they called out to the people. And see, they're calling out the people. Stand up. Praise the Lord your God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. So why do you guys always tell us what to do? Because it's biblical. Somebody's got to lead because sometimes we don't know what to do. If the leaders are being led by the Spirit of God, then we cry out to one another. We say, hey, come on, come on, let's go. Stand up. Praise the Lord. He's worthy. 
And then they prayed. May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all and the angels of the heaven worship you. And here we find the second principle of revival. I'm getting ready to look at it. Reflecting on God's goodness. I mean, they proceed to go through their entire history and reflect on all that God has done for them. And they began the whole prayer and reflection with praise. Never lose your praise. Tell your neighbor, never lose your praise. Never, never lose your praise. Your praise is a weapon. Your praise is warfare. Your praise is victory. Hallelujah. And, and, and notice that throughout their history... They, we're going to look at this. Throughout their history, they always found God to be gracious, compassionate, and faithful. Amazing. And yet, in spite of God's goodness, they rebelled. They were stubborn, stiff-necked. I don't know. that sound familiar at all to anybody? Anybody ever been there? Don't raise your hand. I got mine up. Look what the Lord has done. Hey, look what the Lord has done. I mean, you got to remember what God has done. As I said it today, re remember, look back. Take, take a view back. Check out what God's done in your life. It will cause you to get excited. It will cause you to re remember and see what the Lord has done for you. That word remember, etymologically, it, it's remember, to put back together. Remember. Put it, put it back together. You need to put the pieces back together of your life story and reflect on God's goodness through every season of your life. Amen. I mean, I can look back and, and, and see God's hand of faithfulness in my life Time after time after time after time, since I was a little kid, and see how God has worked in my life. And as I remember, I get excited. Come on, if He's been faithful to me back then, He's going to be faithful to me now and in the future. And I got nothing to worry about because I, I remember what God has done. And something happens, something triggers inside of me. They say in verse 7, You are the Lord God who chose Abram, brought him from Ur of the Chaldeans, and named, renamed him Abraham. See, sometimes God renames you. You used to be this, but I'm going to tell you, this is what you are becoming. And he prophesies over us through new names. And when he had proved himself faithful... You made a covenant with him to give him and his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. A lot of shites in there. And, and, and you have done what you promised, for you are always true to your word. If you get nothing out of, the, out of this message but this, you need to write that down. You've done what you promised. You're always true to your word. Period. I can count on you, God. You're faithful. You've You've done what you promised, for you are always true to your word. Some of you need to memorize that, and you need to recite it 
And you need to remember it. God is always true to his word. And then he goes through this. You saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt. And you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his officials, and all his people. For you knew how arrogantly they were treating our ancestors. You have a glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. I think sometimes that's why we get together, to remind each other. God has a glorious reputation. We can't forget what he's done. Remember what he's done. Remember. Put it back together. Let's go. Come on. You divided the sea for your people so they could walk through on dry land. And then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the mighty waters. You led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they could find their way. And God is still leading and guiding us. It may not be a physical thing, but he's still leading and guiding. You came down at Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and instructions that were just and decrees and commands that were good. You instructed them concerning your holy Sabbath. You commanded them through Moses, your servant, to obey all your commands, decrees, and instructions. You gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry and water from the rock when they were thirsty. You commanded them to go and take possession of the land you had sworn to give them. You got to partner with God. He says, I've given it to you. You go take it. I've given you land. You go take it. I've given you promises. You go receive them. You walk by faith. You walk into. You take what God has given to you. See, we're partnering with God. Verse 16. But. Everybody say but. but. There's always a but. I hate buts. Well, I don't hate buts, but I hate some buts. Again, what in the world? <laughs> but our ancestors were proud and stubborn, and they paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you'd done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. Huh? What? Are you kidding me? And yeah, it reads like 2019. Stubborn, refused to obey, and, and, and so I'll just find somebody who will walk with me back to Egypt. Let's go back partying again. Let's go back to when we were in bondage. Let's go back to our slavery. Let's go back. And you look at that and you're thinking, that is so stupid. Why? Why would you do that? And here we find ourselves doing the exact same thing. Because we refuse to obey what God's asked us to do. We're stubborn, stiff-necked, 
I'll do things my way. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. You have to tell me what to do. I don't, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. We find ourselves heading back into Egypt. In fact, in fact we grab somebody and say, hey, lead us back. Whew. But, this is a good but. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. Even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. They committed terrible blasphemies. But in your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud still led them forward by day, and the pillar of fire showed them the way through the night. You sent your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not stop giving them manna from heaven or water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. What an awesome God. And he's still that gracious and merciful God. If you'll just accept his mercy. He loves you so much. Then you helped our ancestors conquer kingdoms and nations. And you placed your people in every corner of the land. They took over the land of King Sihon of Heshbon. And the land of King Og of, Esh of Bashan. You made their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And you brought them into the land you had promised to their ancestors. They went in and took possession of the land. You subdued whole nations before them. Even the Canaanites who inhabited the land were powerless. Your people could deal with these nations and their kings as they pleased. Our ancestors captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took over houses full of good things with cisterns already dug, dug and vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate until they were full and grew fat and enjoyed themselves in all your blessings. Amen. But despite all this, they were disobedient, rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who warned them to return to you. And don't we do the same? Somebody confronts us with the truth and we want to kill them. And so we don't physically kill them. We just kill them with our words to somebody else. So Isaiah mentioned this this morning. How did we turn from being convicted to being offended as a church. I mean, it's a new day. When the church used to get convicted and change, and today, oh, I'm offended. I'm going somewhere else. Everybody's offended at something today. It's amazing the offense in our nation, in our world. And it's seeped into the church. It's pretty petty. Oh, I'm offended. I'm offended at your offense. <laughs> Where am I at? I have no idea where I'm at here. I'm lost. What verse am I at, Brandon? Are you there? Huh? 26, but despite all this, they're disobedient, rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who warned them to return to you. They committed terrible blasphemies. And so 
you handed them over to their enemies who made them suffer. But in their time of trouble, they cried to you and you heard them from heaven. In your great mercy, you sent liberators who rescued them from their enemies. What an awesome God. But as soon as they were at peace, your people again committed evil in your sight. And once more, you let their enemies conquer them. There's some things God lets happen. He doesn't cause things to happen, but he lets them happen to wake us up, to bring us back to him. Yet whenever your people turned and cried to you again for help, you listened once more from heaven. In your wonderful mercy, you rescued them many times. You warned them to return to your law, but they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed your commands. They did not follow your regulations by which people will find life if only they obey. Ah, yeah, seriously. You will find life if you'll just obey. They stubbornly turned their backs on you and refused to listen. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through the prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the peoples of the land to conquer them. I could camp there for a long time. Some of us are going through stuff that God is allowing to happen. He's trying to get your attention. Trying to wake us up. But in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. Somebody read that with me. What a gracious and merciful God you are. Say it again. What a gracious and merciful God you are. And now our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love, do not let all the hardships we've suffered seem insignificant to you. Great trouble has come upon us and upon our kings and leaders and priests and prophets and ancestors, all of your people from the days when the king of Assyria first triumphed over us until now. Every time you punished us, you were being just. We have sinned greatly, and you gave us only what we deserved. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to the warnings and your commands and laws. Even while they had their own kingdom, they did not serve you, though you showered your goodness on them. You gave them a large fertile land and they refused to turn from their wickedness. So now today we are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. We're slaves here in this good land. The lush produce of this land piles up in the hands of the kings whom you've set over us because of our sins. They have power over us and our livestock. We serve them at their pleasure and we're in great mystery, misery. I'll get it together in just a moment. Here we see the third principle of revival, a recognition of our sinfulness. I mean, if, if you continue to think you're okay, nothing will ever change for you. And you'll just keep going along same old, same old, dealing with the same old stuff. I mean, it's a great day when you can look up into the face of God and say, yes, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I'm a mess, and you're the Messiah. 
It's a great day when we can stop arguing with God and drop our controversy. Instead, a lot of Christians blame God and never see revival in their lives. And I don't want to be there. And neither do you. I mean, some of us treat God like a vacuum cleaner. I mean, we only bring him out when there's a mess to clean up. Better, better get back to church. Better, better call the pastor. Let's let get, gotta clean this mess up. And it's time to recognize where we really are. Are you listening today? Are you with me? Well, the people responded, verse 38. In view of all of this, we're making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. On this sealed document are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. And they got serious. This, this is where we've been. This is, we remember what God's done and, and we recognize we're sinful. And we need to make a commitment that changes all of this brings us to Nehemiah chapter 10. The document was ratified sealed with the following names. The governor, Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, and also Zedekiah. The following priests, Sariah, verse 9, the following Levites, and the following leaders, Parash, I mean, I know you want me to read all these names, but I'm just going to skip over most of them, Okay. Verse 26, Ahaya, Hanan, Anan, Baluk, Harim, and Bara. Then the rest of the people, sorry, I, I got inspired for a second. <laughs> then the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of God. There's an interesting statement, isn't it? They'd separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of God together with their wives, sons, daughters, and all who were old enough to understand. They joined their leaders and bound themselves with an oath. They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. Verse 30, we promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not to let our sons marry their daughters. We also promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath or on any other holy day, we'll refuse to buy it. Every seventh year, we'll let our land rest and we will cancel all debts owed to us. In addition, we promise to obey the command to pay the annual temple tax of one-eighth of an ounce of silver for the care of the temple of our God. This will provide for the bread of the presence, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, the new moon celebrations and the annual festivals, for the holy offerings and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel. It will provide for everything necessary for the work of the temple of our God. We have cast sacred lots to determine when at regular times each year the families of the priests, Levites, and the common people should bring wood to God's temple to be burned on the altar of the Lord our God as is written in the law. And we promise to bring the first part, first fruits of every harvest 
to the Lord's temple year after year, whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees, we agree to give God our oldest sons and the firstborn of all our herds and flocks as prescribed in the law. We will present them to the priests who minister in the temple of our God. We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best, somebody say the best, the best of our fruit and the best of our new wine and olive oil. And we promise to bring the Levites a tithe, a tenth of everything our land produces. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our rural towns. A priest, a descendant of Aaron, will be with the Levites as they receive these tithes. And a tenth of all that is collected as tithes will be delivered by the Levites to the temple of our God and placed in the storerooms. The people and the Levites must bring these offerings of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms, placed in the sacred containers near the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers. And we promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. We promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. And here we see the fourth principle of revival, a renewal of our obedience. Just touch your neighbor and say, it's time to obey. And they, they put it in writing. Like, we're signing off on this. We're going to obey. And their obedience touched every part of their lives. It affected their home life. Verse 28. Separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey God, together with their wives, sons, daughters, all who were old enough to understand. It affected their social life. Verse 30. We promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land, not to let our sons marry their daughters. I mean, our, our friendships and our companionships have got to change. The question we need to ask is, who are we willing to give our sons and daughters to? I don't know if you've asked that question. Christy and I asked that question a long time ago. I mean, even to the point of, of what television shows they could watch. I mean, am I going to think of it this way? Am I going to invite a stranger into my house, set them down in front of my kids, and let them tell them anything they want to tell them? Have at it. Teach, teach my children. Teach them whatever you want to teach them. I mean, let's get real. This, this obedience affected every area of their lives. It affected their, their home life. It affected their social life. It affected their church life. They became faithful in their honoring of the Sabbath, faithful in their obedience in giving, tithing, first fruits, worship. I mean, it affected every area of their life. Why, why is giving and the tithe such a big deal? It's a foundational principle. 
And some, sometimes you, you are building on such a shaky foundation that God can't build anything above that because your foundation can't handle it. Someone has said, give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. I don't know. I just know that this, this renewal of our obedience is a big deal. And I ask the question to you today, how has your relationship with God affected your home life? Your social life? Has it affected your church life at all? Or does it just go through the motions? I'll give you an hour and a half, maybe two hours, depending on how long that preacher is. I mean, some of you, you come from a, a background where church was like 30 to 45 minutes, and you're like, oh, I can't believe we're still here. <laughs> what are they doing there? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Has your, your obedience affected even your church life? So Nehemiah says in, in chapter 10, verse 39, we will not neglect the house of our God. We promise together we're not going to neglect the house of God. So in order to move forward in revival, we've got to do some things. We've got to go back to broken hearts, realizing just how far off we are. We've got to reflect on God's goodness. Rejoice in how good God is. He loves us. He cares for us. He is merciful. He keeps drawing us to himself. Even though we stray away, even though we keep walking away from him. We need to recognize our sinfulness. Repent of our sins. And lastly, renew our obedience. Rededicate our lives to God and his church. I don't know where you're at today. But this church is going after revival. We want to see God do some amazing things among us. He has done amazing things. I mean, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. Anybody had your body healed? I mean, seriously, you've had your body healed at some point in your life. Check it out. He touched my mind. Anybody had your mind renewed? He saved me. It was just in time. Oh, I'm going to praise his name. Because each day he's just the same. Come on, let's praise him. Look what the Lord has done. Hallelujah. He's a good God. And when you reflect back and you look back and say how good God has been, it gives you something that says, you know what? I can still trust him today. But if I've not asked him to forgive me of my sin yet, that's the starting point. 
Okay? Just bow your heads for a second. Close your eyes and give the person next to you the privacy of this moment. Maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, you know what, Pastor, I, I haven't given my life to Jesus yet. I've not allowed him to cleanse me of my sin. I've not allowed him to give me a brand new start. But I want that today. I want a brand new start today. I want forgiveness of sin. I want to be brought into the family of God. God wants to adopt you today. He wants to bring you into his family. He wants to give you an inheritance that is not just for this life, but for the life to come. He's a good God. And if you listen enough today, you'll recognize this awesome almighty God has been chasing you. He has loved you. He has pursued you. He has, he has made a way for you to get to where you are today. And he's brought you here to this intersection of time and sat you down for just a moment, put you at this stoplight and said, come on, accept my love, accept my forgiveness, accept this free gift of eternal life. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. And I want you just to signal by raising a hand and say, preacher, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want a brand new start. All over this room, I'm looking. Just raise your hand up high. Say, preacher, pray for me. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Anyone? Don't miss this miracle moment. This moment that will change your life forever. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Someone else. God's speaking to you. He's tapping you on the shoulder. He's saying, give your life to me. You'll never be the same again. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I want everyone to stand. Sir, you will then come, come with me, all right? Come on, you raise your hand. I want to pray with you up here. God's, God's going to change your life forever. This is going to be a day you'll never forget. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe somebody else, you're here and you say, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus. Someone else. Hey, maybe your, your question is saying, what, what do I need to do? You need to first off, give your life to Jesus. That's the first step. Okay? We're going to pray together. All right, Zeke. We're going to pray together. All right? Let's do this. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, Lord, today we pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I give you my life right now. Everything I am, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me from all my sin. Thank you for giving me a brand new start. It's never too late for a new beginning. 
and I'm starting my new beginning now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I give my life to you, and I declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. Hallelujah. Come on, celebrate somebody. There's a party going on in heaven right now. Hallelujah.